0: Welcome back to Winning with Connections, the WWC Global Podcast. This is our take on government contracting and small business success with interviews from top experts and the people that make the industry move. Today's episode features Mike Groeschel with Iron Eagle X or IEX. Mike has been a good friend to WWC Global for a number of years now, and he just started Iron Eagle X. How long ago, Mike?
1: I took over in uh, July of last year, so right right at about a year.
0: Wow. God, it's been a year already?
1: It has, yeah. Ah. It feels like it's been 10.
0: (laughs) So I asked Mike to come on the, the podcast for a number of reasons, but really because he's been in the industry for a while now in various different roles, and he was able to really start... IEX and I know IEX was we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit how IEX was already kind of in existence, but he was able to kind of launch this business quickly and effectively. And there were a couple of pieces that he did that were, I thought, absolutely genius that allowed him to really come out of the gate effectively and really be a player in the industry in a very short order. So Mike, I'm going to ask you first, if you can just give us a, a brief background of kind of who you are and how you got to where you are now.
1: Absolutely. No, I well, First of all, thank you very much for having me uh, on your podcast. Uh, I, you know, kind of would reiterate uh, some of the things you said as far as, you know, we've just had a friendship for a number of years and, and you've been nothing but, you know, a really good friend and, and mentor to us. So this was a, a cool opportunity to come on and, and chat with you after the success that you guys have had over the last several years. So my background, uh, I joined the military right of high school and did join the Air Force. And I, I wanted to fly on aircraft. So I became enlisted air crew, uh, originally flew on uh, E3 AWACS for a couple of years, and then got the opportunity, uh, which I always wanted to go to you know, training to do Air Force Special Operations uh, and Special Operations Aviation. So I flew on AC-130 gunships for a number of years and did that uh, and supported uh, some different uh, special operations units in the intelligence community. Uh, That was just an amazing opportunity. And then after I got out of the service, I separated after about seven years. After I got out, I, I worked in the intelligence community for a little while. And then went to SOCOM headquarters, and that's really where I got really lucky. It, this is kind of a, almost a, an important inflection point in my career. I got the opportunity to work in acquisition at SOCOM, but more as an engineer or a subject matter expert, helping them understand how they were going to apply certain technologies that they were buying. But you can't sit there and watch somebody buy something and not have it rub off on right. what they do and how they do it. Yeah. And that was really huge for me. So I got to to learn what colors of money were and, you know, what the acquisition process was. And as a, a sort of a CETA contractor, um, I even got to sit on a couple of source selections for more minor things, not, you know, big contracts, but just little, uh, you know, sort of commodity procurement kind of things. So I got to see just how that process worked. And in doing that. I learned a lot about the business side as well um, and then started working with a small business and I, you know, it was kind of a cool thing to do at the time. It didn't seem cool now, uh, then, but looking back on it now, I was able to kind of get myself on my own contract and then grow that from myself to 15 people in about six months. And that was a that was a cool uh, thing that happened. And so that's what got me onto the business side. And then eventually went to my last company and we grew that from, uh, when I joined there, they were a very small business, they had maybe 30 people and then we grew it to well over 200 people in about five years. And then with Iron Eagle X, I just had a really great opportunity where there was a company that was in a transition that had been around for a couple years, had all the bones of what you would need to run a defense contracting company, a facility clearance, you know uh, at a an accounting system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a lot of that. And so I was able to work out a deal to acquire it, which from a business school perspective, what I did was really a leveraged buyout. Um, I bought the debt for the company yeah. in a renegotiation and then ended up, uh, you know, controlling all the shares, but it was really a cool opportunity uh, that we can get into later, but and that's actually a very cool story. But yeah, so I got the chance to really see, obviously, what things were like to be in the service, then do a few different things in the contractor space, in the technology side, and building technology and applying it for the government. And then I got to help them buy technology, and all seeing all three sides of that yeah. really gave me a unique perspective that really lent itself to, you know, getting into running my own company. Um, and then, you know, I just got a lot of experience on all the things that you you do in our world from pricing to writing proposals to HR, you know, across the board, and, and that's how I ended up here.
0: So what I think, and I, I use you all the time, by the way, I, I never tell you that I think you're really smart because, you know, that would give you a bigger head than you already have, and never <laughs> really, we, I never do that. For those who are listening, we, Mike and I call ourselves like little brother, big sister, and we have a a, a relationship like that. So I'm never going to give him kudos to his face, but now I am, and publicly. The one that one of the things that I thought you did with IEX that was absolutely genius, and we had been talking about you potentially starting your own firm for a while. At that point, when this opportunity came by, it was already packaged to be all of the all of the things that make small businesses struggle, particularly that facility security clearance, I thought it was genius to, to turn around and be like, I'm just going to buy the shell of the company, a, a company that's struggling for the ability to have that ready made security clearance. Like you said, the DCA accounting system mm-hmm. approval, all of those pieces that you had, that's the hard part. That's one of the walls you run into in doing this is just, hey, wait a second, how do I get a security clearance? Somebody has to sponsor me. That takes this long. It's a chicken and egg kind of thing. So you got around all of that, which I just, I thought was one of the smartest things I had ever seen. And I hadn't seen anyone do that before.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to say that I didn't just get a little bit lucky. Um, (laughs) I I think that, and maybe a lot lucky, and I think... One of the hardest things about our industry is that it takes a really long time to really get going in this industry. And a lot of times, you know, I almost can't blame them, but a lot of people don't have the patience to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I don't either. So that's why when this opportunity came along, I knew how important and rare and valuable it was. And I knew how valuable being able to hit the ground running was going to be. Yeah. Um so that really was something that attracted me to this opportunity. And the funny story about Iron Eagle X was that from the time it became an option till the time I bought it and signed the contracts was 16 days end to end. Which anybody that's ever done an acquisition period, but especially in our industry, knows that 60 days is probably a fast acquisition. Right. And so doing it in 16 was was pretty insane. And it took a lot of you know, guts and uh, coffee yeah. to be yeah. able to do it because, you know, we, we had to do the due diligence and, you know, understand what we were buying and, and what the upsides were and what the downsides were. And again, we just got lucky. We Things worked out from a timing perspective. When I bought Iron Eagle X, its biggest problem was that it didn't have enough revenue to sustain itself. But we had the right connections that literally my first act within buying it was tripling the company in size, Going from eight people to, you know, 24 people pretty much overnight um, by being able to get the contracts that could uh, get it the revenue to sustain it. And we had, you know, a great prime that was interested in you know, helping us get going, even though they didn't necessarily have to, you know, obviously we provided some value for them, but, but really they, they, they took a risk for us and it worked out great. So, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that, that was a huge advantage and, you know, wasn't something I was in the process of starting a business. It was, it was an inevitability at that point, but it was definitely something I knew I had six to nine months of, you know, uphill, climbing to take on. But, you know, in this case, we were able to, to sort of refactor that debt and put ourselves in a situation where we could take it over um, and make it work. So, right. um, So, yeah.
0: So, and you're right. It takes guts. I mean, you've been, that's, I I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are like, Oh, I could do this. I could, you know, I could start a business. We used to get all the time when we first started, Oh, I thought of that. Um, That's great. You thought of it. You didn't do it. And it does take a whole lot of guts. You've been in the employee seat in government contracting. You've been in kind of a partner stake in it. And then inevitably, or you know, you've been in a senior leadership, I should say, stake in it. And then now in an ownership level in it. Differences between all of those different places
1: yeah, so uh, it, it, there definitely are. I, I think I always sort of jokingly say that to do this, you got to have two main skills, uh, paranoia and stupidity. Uh-huh. And and <laughs> what it really comes down to is that, like, you have to believe, frankly, that nothing you ever do is good enough, that you that there is a way to get better and that you have to continually just keep pushing forward. But then you got to be dumb enough to do keep going anyway, um, to know that, like, well, I did the best I could and the best I could is probably better than the average. Therefore, I'm going to stand out just enough that I think I should just turn in my homework. I, I think that last one, you know, is probably the most important. Right. There are lots of people who have a great work ethic out there, but they don't they're almost such perfectionists that they're not willing to turn it in yeah. when it's not a hundred percent complete. And so much of this world is learning to turn in your homework when you really didn't do all of it. Yeah. And so, and that's hard to do. I mean, like it, we're not raised that way. You're not taught that way in school. That's no professional job that you have prior to being an entrepreneur encourages that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So learning to rewire yourself to say, well, I'm just As good as that guy is is really the key, and so I I think that's a big that was a big one for me. And then, you know, I I had some some good learning experiences. Right, I had. thought about starting businesses previously, and, you know, had some people that didn't live up to their promises early on in my career. And then as I, you know, was in ownership and and senior executive in my last company, you know, I saw the benefits and challenges of partnerships and, you know, how to balance the priorities of multiple people. And then when we sort of wrapped that up and started something new, it was really back to what was the vision for this new organization that I wanted to run, and what would that look like? So I think that's the big thing. I mean, I always tell people you have to start with the end in mind. Yes. You really have to know what success looks like. Right. Um, And so you can because you can't make a plan to get there if you don't know where there is. And so, you know, and then the other thing that I do really is I I copy people. Um, You know, it's not very, you know, creative, I guess, in that sense. But when you look at what people like yourself have done, when you look at the success that companies like Arma Global had and others, you get a blueprint for what success looks like and what they did. And so that's what I do. I spend a lot of time trying to pick the brains of people like yourself and, and the founders of, of previous companies that have been successful to ask them, you know, how they do it and, and how they knew they were going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another way that for me that I have really benefited. I really find that, that you know, folks like you and, and others have always been really good at sharing advice, I think, cause I feel like I'm willing to do that. If someone calls me and says, Hey, okay. I want to start a business. And they ask questions, you know, you, once you get that initial, through that initial hurdle of understanding that the person's really serious and they have the right makings to do it exactly. after that, I mean, I think people are really willing to share. People like to help other people. They like to see other people be successful because yeah. anybody that's ever done, done this knows there's plenty of success out there for all of us. We don't have to, yep. um, hide it from anybody else and so you really can go out and pick those brains and ask people how to do it i, I think that's the thing i see a lot of people not doing yeah um, that fail is that they they just didn't do enough of the homework leading up to it i mean i am not the kind of person who uh, much to the chagrin of my staff and people that work with me as prime contractors and subcontractors, you know, I don't, you know, have an Excel spreadsheet that tracks everything or, you know, always the most organized person. Um, but at least in my own mind, you know, I've got a pretty detailed plan. Um right and I've thought it through on what I want to do. And I, and I think that's where people fail. I mean, they're too busy checking the block of what they're supposed to fill out in their business plan, that they don't actually understand what's in their business plan and yeah. what that means and what yeah. it's going to take to achieve those things, you know, and, and some of it's just inexperience, right? I, I, as a more of a young professional I wish sometimes that experience wasn't so valuable because then you know my tenacity or my passion uh-huh. could overtake it but really what I've learned in just my you know decade or so being in this industry on the actual contractor side and trying to grow a business is that experience matters probably just as much if not more than yeah. about anything else out there yeah. and So knowing who to call, knowing what to do, knowing how to solve that problem is is really key. So I really focus, because I don't have as much experience as some people do, I really focus on surrounding myself with as many experienced people as I can find, you know, whether it's somebody who's maybe only a half an inch wide, but they're 10 miles deep in that particular area or people that have that real breadth. Those are the keys.
0: Yeah, no, I, it's funny. We did, I think we're slightly different than you in the fact that we don't, we, we probably make things harder on ourselves by reinventing the wheel sometimes, but we do it in a way that says, I'm going to borrow from all these different people and and frankly a lot of what I do and I think you do as well is I go and interview the people who have made it, but also a lot of the people who haven't, or the people who have done really well but then come back down under size standard for whatever reason. The people who did really, really well under the eight program, but then failed after they kind of came out of the A program. All of that and I've I've turned around and said, okay, what what did you do? And They're saying it in a way that is most positive to them, right? Obviously, they're going to always tell their story as if it was a success story, even when it wasn't. Although some of them have been really, really good. And I've got some really great mentors who are like, here's when I screwed up. But for the most part, people care about their ego. And so they'll they'll tell you things. You can get at some of the pieces of what went wrong. But also, and, and this is something I know you and I have talked about a lot, Also, you know, where people succeeded, but in a way that I wasn't comfortable thinking that we were going to do. So there's a lot of really nasty firms out there. There are a ton of great firms that will have those conversations with you that are really good partners to work with. But then there are some that are terrible and they do really well. And, And we've had this conversation as well before where it's, you know, I'm really mad about the fact that so-and-so over here who does things the wrong way and cheats every time and does this kind of stuff and that kind of stuff is doing really well. But in the end, that's, that's who you have to be as a, as a leader. That's who you have to be as an entrepreneur, as a business owner is I'd rather forgo revenue than do things the wrong way. Right. And so there's, there's some of that balance there too, I think.
1: No, I think you're right. And I think it just comes down to people, right? Like I've seen people that in one stage were great and then unfortunately transformed into the wrong kind of person over a period of time. You know, I think people's priorities change their, their view of, you know, what success is to them changes, right? It changes from, I want to build this great company. That's thousands of employees where everyone's satisfied to, I want to get ten million dollars in my bank account so I can retire, right?
0: Always ten million, by the way. Everyone I talk to, that's the number. And
1: I don't know. I think that's uh, that round number that feels like uh, you can, you've got a good chance you're not going to waste it all.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I just every single person I talk to, and it was funny. I talked to somebody the other day who had sold his business, and you know he was like, "When are you selling?" I'm like, "I'm not. You know, we're not selling anytime soon." Cause I'm having too much fun doing this, and when we're
1: still enjoying what
0: we're doing, but he goes, Let me guess 10 million. Yeah, why does everyone say 10 million?
1: But I don't know. I, well, I'd be, I'm I, that's not my number. My numbers, uh, <laughs> got probably got another zero behind it, but um, it's, so,
0: why I love you and yet want to smack you half the time because and you'll get there because you're you. Um, <laughs> this is why I call you my little brother.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and, and, you know, and hopefully we will. Right. I think right. part of it is you got you have to set goals, you yes. know, kind of back to the good to great, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal sort yes. of scenario. I think you got to set goals that are that high, you know, just to just to keep yourself locked in and focused. Plus, for me, I, I'm kind of like you. I love this. So if I set a goal of 10 million, you know, I'd probably be there sooner than later. And then then what, right? right? And then it. it I don't want to get there so fast and then be like, oh, well, my goal was this. So do I have to sell now? And so for me, it's it's about no, I want to get to this number that I may never get to, because that's what's going to keep me hungry. You know, for me, I've always been, you know, definitely to my detriment at times, you know, talking to Lauren, my therapist here, <laughs> I, I, I have it has been to my detriment at times that I set Very tough goals for myself, and I pushed myself very hard not only to meet them but to exceed them, right? So when I originally took over um, at Transvoyant, the company I worked at a couple companies ago, and I was 25 or 26, and I knew nothing about defense contracting other than that you could get them. Right. And I had this thing in my contract where I would get $10,000 every time I added a million dollars in revenue to the company. And I remember my boss at the time telling me how hard that was going to be to just, you know, fall out of bed and just add a million dollars in revenue um, of profitable revenue. And, Said, and then he was and I said I was like I'm gonna do it in the first year and he'd said he was like, I will be so proud of you if you can do that I just don't think you're gonna do it and that just lit a fire in me and I did it in five and a half months and so for me that's what I and I knew all along that I was gonna demolish that goal like and yeah. But yeah. truthfully, like looking back in hindsight, he was right. Like what I did was not an easy thing to do. But I think part of being successful as an entrepreneur is not don't look down. You're on a tightrope. Like don't look down. Like you just yeah. got to go and be like, all right, I can do it. And, you know, I learned a long time ago. I play this game in my own head and it's apparently – very popular in a lot of like business coaches and sort of you know more like therapeutic circles where it's it's called what's the worst that could happen yes, and yes. I do that all the time where I, my mind works like a giant risk matrix, and yep. so I'm constantly like well, if I get this wrong, what's the worst that can happen and if the, what's the worst that can happen is I submitted a bad proposal and the government doesn't pick me well, okay, well, that doesn't really sound that bad and so and you know for me. A lot of times I can be very passionate and be very, you know, sort of ardent in my positions. And so, you know, a lot of times I have to ask myself when I go in to talk to a potential customer or talk to a teaming partner, you know, what's going to happen if I, you know, come on too strong. About what we have to do. And, and most of the time I just, you know, I, I just jump off and, and make the leap anyway, because I just hope that I come across as someone who is genuine and really cares. And one of the more proud things that people have told me about myself, and I know there are some people that wouldn't want this reputation. But most people say that I, I'm almost to my own detriment, very honest all the time, right? And you never have to go far to figure out what Mike is thinking, because if you ask him, he'll tell you. Um, <laughs> that is true. But, you know, and and while I do respect that there are drawbacks to that, at the same time, what I do like about it is that I don't think that anyone who really gets a chance to know me would ever say that I'm I'm really playing games with stuff. I'll be very clear about this is what I want. This is what I'm willing to give. This is where I think we should go. And if people don't like it, I give them a very early opportunity to opt out. What hurts me a lot of times is that people will be, unfortunately, dishonest and take advantage of that and tell me that they will deliver on their end of the bargain and then not. And, you know, we all face that. Right. And that gets back to your point about there are some businesses out there that just don't do it the right way. But look, I mean, in a trillion dollar defense industry, there's plenty of opportunity out there. And I feel confident that I have the ability to beat them, you know, again, right. It's not the only game. It's not the only time we're going to get in the arena. So uh, I'll, I'll take my chances and, and, and go for it.
0: Yeah. And, and you learn fairly quickly who are the good players and who aren't the good players. And at some point you know, early on, you have to play with whomever is willing to, you know, whoever's willing to dance with you, put on your dance card, but At some point, you get big enough and you get substantial enough that you get to start picking who you're going to play with, both on the big side and on the small side. And that's why, I mean, you and I end up doing a whole lot of deals together, a whole lot of proposals, a whole lot of kind of capture together with a couple of other firms that we consistently all kind of know, Okay, wait a second, if I need this capability, I'm going to this firm because I just know exactly what I'm going to get and I don't have to fight and I don't have to watch my back and I don't have to worry about things. There are, you know, it's it certainly still you have to have the paper. You still have to to make the the deals work in practice. And you have to, like you said, really lay it out there. Here's what I expect, because if you don't, even if you're good friends, even if you're both good actors in all of this. If you don't put out your expectations early, then you might be going after something thinking that we're going after it this way. I'm going after it thinking we're going after it this way. And then there's a disconnect and it's neither one's fault. So putting that out there, laying it out there, getting it on paper in particular is really critical. Not only when you don't trust someone or don't know if you can trust someone, but even when you do trust someone just to get you guys on the same page.
1: Absolutely. And I and you have to have that dialogue, but I I still do believe that, you know, it unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you look at it, it's it all comes down to the people, right? Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. I've been in situations where companies didn't have to do the right thing and did. Yeah. And I've been in situations where they were legally compelled to do the right thing and they still tried to do the wrong thing. Uh, I just mm-hmm. had that this week. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and we all have. And so, you know, I think it just depends on again what What does success look like for you and I, you know, right or wrong. And, but it's probably one of the things that bonds us together.
0: Right.
1: We are more interested in certain big picture things than some people, right? Some people run a business in this industry because they want to enrich themselves. And that is literally their primary concern. And and frankly, I'm not here to judge them for that whatsoever. It's just yeah. important for someone like ourselves to realize that that's what that person's in it for and make smart decisions with them based off of that. Other people are in this industry because they love national security. Other people are in this industry because they love policy. Uh, other people are in it, you know, for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, and by the way, and this is really what I've seen for some people, those reasons change. And so they do it for 10 years, and for the first 10 years, it's for the reason X, and then the next 10 years is for reason Y. And so, you know, again, I think that that's fine. I think it comes back to living up to, you know, that honesty of who you say you are and what you say you're going to do and then just, you know, going with it from there. We always tell like a potential employee, if you will, that, you know, we're going to give them a lot of insight on where we're going as an organization, what we're doing. And, you know, maybe we'll tell them things they don't want to hear, but at a minimum, they will be told that, those things. Right. We don't play. I have a secret with, oh, your contract's up to recompete yeah. or this yeah. is because your contract's up for recompete. Oh, by the way, the government put it out in such a way that you're probably going to take a salary cut. So, or, hey, you're this contract's sunsetting. So maybe you should start looking at other things for other contracts that aren't sunsetting. Right. Um, you know, we've done that. I mean, we literally just had someone put in their notice based off of that because their contract is ending. because You know, a government agency decided that it didn't want to continue with a particular contract in the way that it was going, which was a completely reasonable decision on their end. And so, but we, those employees are slowly matriculating off the contract yeah. and, you know, that, that's to me, that that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You're supposed to be open and honest, but not everybody does that. You know, I will say the, the first real boss that I had in this industry when I worked for L3 He did a good job of being very blunt and direct with me that, you know, you're not in the service anymore. No one here has a responsibility to take care of you. You need to take care of yourself. And sometimes taking care of yourself is just asking your boss for what happened. That's really what he was – the point he was making in that particular instance was that a lot of people on our contract at the time – was very up in arms, but they weren't asking any questions. They weren't making any moves on their own. They were just hoping that he was going to find them a job. And, you know, he was managing hundreds of people and it was just not something that he was going to be able to do. Whereas in my case, I went to him directly, said I had what my issues were, said what I was going to do. He gave me his support and blessing and and was able to help me move forward with a better opportunity. And, you know, his advice to me at the time was, you know, I wish more people did that, that they just Right. They stepped forward and said, "Here's what I need, so that I can tell them, yes, I can, no, I can't, and then we'll go forward."
0: That's a good lesson for entrepreneurship too. I mean, look, nobody's going to hand you any of this stuff. I get, and I know you do too. So many people coming to me and going, "Hey, I'm a small business. Can I have a position?" Why? Why would you? Why would I give you a position? Right? You come to me. Somebody else comes to me or I go to another firm and say, I really want to be on your team. I bring this, that and the other. Can I be on your team and can I get three positions on it? But here are the positions that I want. And here's why I'm better than anyone else at doing it. If, if you don't help yourself, if you don't make your case, nobody's going to make it for you. Nobody's going to hand you stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, I know you've seen this recently, obviously, with the success that WWC has had that you get a lot of people are, that are that they sort of in their veiled way, they're like, I really want to work together. Well, what does that mean? Like, the way you're saying I really want to work together sounds like you really want me to give you work. And so, you know, whereas, you know, on some of the things recently with us, I came to you before the RFI even came out and said, hey, this RFI is going to come out here on this vehicle. I want to be on your team. And so even just by doing that, I obviously showed a level of insight and knowledge That the average person didn't have, whereas the RFI comes out and they call and they say, "Hey, I really, when when can we work together on this? I don't know. When, when can you add some value?" Right. Because in today's world, small businesses, especially, and who knows what happens in the COVID environment and stuff like that. I think we're all kind of waiting to see. But you know, I can't partner with a small business just because they call me and say I'm really cheap. That rap. doesn't help. During sequestration, maybe that that, that caught my eye or – and that was frankly the, the weapon that I used to grow our last business, right? Gosh. We ran insanely low rap rates. Rap rates I wouldn't even say out loud anymore really for did. fear yeah. of cursing myself. But we did it because it was a strategic value for us and for our prime to use us. But we also had technical expertise that made us valuable. So, um, you know, I think that a lot of times as a small people forget that just being small a lot of times isn't enough. Right. And just being cheap really isn't enough. You you really got to be more than that. And then once you get in there it's really about being able to execute because mm-hmm. I can tell you, we just terminated a subcontractor and I won't say who it is, but we terminated a subcontractor because they were a nightmare to work with. They couldn't get their people badged properly. Yep, yep. They couldn't get them the right email accounts to be able to make sure they could do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> and you know we called them and said, hey, look, we're terminating your subcontractor. We, we have to, we, you know, you're degrading the mission. And it's just not in the best interest and, and we're not going to go forward. Yep, um, yep. And like you said, you got to get to a point where you're willing to do that. Um, that's especially for a small business. It's a gutsy call to call one of those, you know, big five defense companies or big 10 defense companies and say, hey, I'm I'm moving on. But, um, you know, I think once you get there, you kind of start to realize that delivery is really the most critical things. Right. At, as somebody, I'm pretty good at BD. I know you are too. You know, BD is is useless if you can't deliver. That, I don't want. I don't have any that, interest yep. in being the best sales guy in the world and, yep. and then just immediately defaulting on my contract, yep. even just morally or ethically, let alone actual contractually. So I think that's key as well. Is you know, make sure that you can actually do what you say you can do.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the critical piece. I, I see so many. BD guys, girls, whatever, but so many kind of great BD people saying they're going to go start their own firm. And wow, can they sell? They really can sell. They can sell, you know, they they can sell sand in the Sahara, but they can't actually execute. And in the long run, I hope, God, I hope most of those are going to fail. Because, you know, they can sell, they can sell everything to everyone until their reputation catches up to them.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, there are some that get away with it. I mean, the, the biggest thing that happens with that and, you know, it, it, for the odd government person that happens to be listening to this is unfortunately what the government views as a successful contractor is not what we view as successful yeah. contractors. You know, I'm thinking of specific businesses that I've run into before where as far as the government's concerned, they're doing a decent job. But if you were to talk to one of their employees, they would tell you what a disaster it is inside of that organization. So, you know, that's something we really focus on. You know, as far as Iron Eagle X, we've got seven people in charge of operations. running things inside of our operations staff which for a company our size is a ton of people and the reason why we have multiple people in our accounting department multiple people with pm experience you know multiple people with you know more types of contractual finance background is because for me i can go out and sell ice to eskimos but i can't i can't run it I or I I don't I don't feel right doing that if I if we can't run the contract properly. Absolutely. And so, you know, unfortunately sometimes those companies do tend to do well and if if one of them happens to be an 8A, they tend to to do even better. Yeah. But, you know, what you see with those companies though is exactly what you mentioned is they are the types of companies that fall back down below yeah. uh, the size standard once they uh, lose that advantage, right? Because 8A is an amazing program in the sense of it allows you to create a lot of contribution margin for your business to be able to set up an infrastructure to run a business. Yep. Well, not everyone is prepared to make that leap from I'm a really successful small business to I'm a successful medium sized business that now doesn't have any advantages.
0: Yep. Um, I'm terrified that I look, we're in, we're right in this, in the thick of that. We're com- coming out of size status. It is the scariest place to be, but it is a much more terrifying place to be. If you don't have that infrastructure, if you don't have, that execution reputation because they don't have the easy button to get you through a day or, uh, or some other direct award program or some other vehicle that they can use. Now you have to compete.
1: Well, and in today's world with the world of, you know, contract vehicles, it's hard to compete mm-hmm. in that transition because you, you know, if, if the government is dead set on putting everything out on a lion and Oasis large or small, Yep. You know, what happens when you're caught in the middle between the two and you're not big enough to win one of the large ones, but you're not, you're too, you're too big to be able to, you know, keep your small one. Right. I think that's really the challenge for us and, you know, IEX you know, we've taken a much different tactic. So my, my last business, we were much more like your business, right? We were a small business that, um, that won some different strategic contract vehicles and was very much working to be wildly successful on those vehicles and outgrow our size status mm-hmm. so that we could then go and maybe do some joint ventures and then use joint ventures to try to leap into the large business yeah. realm with – IEX, we've taken much more of the path of, frankly, Arma Global um, by legitimately studying them at a very, very – you know, nascent level. And we are at, we've already successfully, well, hopefully successfully, but at least through the first stage bid on a full and open contract. Um, In fact, we have one full and open prime contract right now. um, And it's a smaller one, but we're hopefully going to win a much larger one, you know, in the nine figure realm here pretty soon. And it was by targeting these larger IDIQs that are come out in very small pockets and you have to be very, it's like, I don't know, like truffle hunting. You got to really be looking for them to know that they're there. And then you have to do enough of the capture and really understand that process to know that contract right there that is full and open, even though I'm small, I can win that contract. Yeah, And that's tough to do. And I mean, I think you and I both know this, and you know, this just doing it from one business where you've just been Continually successful over a period of time. I know this from doing it in a few different businesses. There is a lot that you don't know a lot of times when you start your own business.
0: Oh, there's it's still a true. lot I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so it's learning those things yeah, yeah. you don't know that is really what separates you. I mean, the amount of information, I, I will say this the amount of information I've learned in the last year. Yeah, yeah dwarfs the amount of information that I learned in the five years prior to it. Um, And that's not to say that I didn't learn a ton of information in that previous five years or that I'm not grateful to all of the mentors and people that helped me learn it because that's certainly not true, but that's just a a snapshot of the amount of learning you have to do to be able to be successful in this world. You have to continually learn at a, you know, logarithmically increasing level, more information about how to be successful, how to price, how to manage things, how to get audited, how did you know, the one thing that is really cool for IEX is we actually have gap audited financials, which for a company our size uh, uh, is yeah. not heard of. right. But the reason why we're doing that is because, our long-term strategy of either taking investment or going through an acquisition is going to require that our books be absolutely pristine, right? And then they have to be managed to a certain standard. And I want to be able to tell anyone who comes in to, to work with us in that way, we have got it from back from the inception of the business. We have been executing to this level of accounting standard. Yep. That's why yep. we have three people in our accounting department.
0: Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. And it's it really is different if you're playing at different levels. And, and like you said before, you have to know what level you want to play at. You have to know. Yep. We didn't. I mean, we never actually thought we were going to get to this size. We never looked at doing that. But we always had the mind that if we did do that, we had to be ready. So even if you don't think you're going to get there, preparing for there makes sense if, if there's any thought that you might get there.
1: Yeah. And like I said, a lot of those things that I learned about doing that, I learned in the last year. There yeah. were things that I had never even considered because, yeah. you know, we were a successful small business previously and and we had written lots of, you know, to use the government grading term, exceptional proposals. And we knew how to price. I mean, I really thought, to be really honest, I really thought I knew what I was doing. And then the last year I learned how much I didn't have any idea what I was doing. It is
0: amazing, but you'll, you're going to learn more next year by far than you learned this year and the year after that. And the year after that, as you get bigger and bigger, it is remarkable. I, I look back and, funny enough, I'll go back into my emails for, you know, go search for a proposal that I, you know, I want to see what we, what we said on the email to so-and-so before we got the thing in. So I'll go back and look in, you know, four or five years prior, uh, in my emails and I'll start because I'm crazy, uh, looking around at all the emails around it, just because I get sucked into it. And it reminds me of the problems we had five, 10 years ago. And I'm like, Why was that such? I remember that. I remember that being so hard to deal with. And I look back and I'm like, why was that so hard to deal with? Well, it was hard to deal with at the time because we didn't know what we were doing in that respect. And then we learned that. So that becomes not hard anymore. Now the next level is hard and the next level after that. And so, you know, as you grow, it just gets harder and harder and you learn more and more. And the stuff you learned is still there. It's just not hard anymore because you've already learned it.
1: Yeah, well, and you also learned that, at least I've had this lesson at least two or three times. You learned that there you were a lot of times you were prioritizing a lot of the wrong things. Like oh my you God. thought certain things were really important and you were riding the staff yes. as hard as you could about that thing. And then in hindsight, you were like, that was useless. This one thing over here that I barely paid attention to was the most like. important thing. And uh, that that happened. So you know, that's another thing that I I've learned a ton of is what is important and what's not important. Uh, you waste so much time on the not important things that you think are important.
0: Well, they seem urgent at the time. So yeah. all right, we could keep going for ever and probably will on other calls. But for here, I think this has been hopefully helpful to everyone else out there looking at kind of a small business that has been successful so quickly and how you got there uh, I think can be really useful to another set of small businesses that are that are trying to come out differently so I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time I always love talking to you I always love teasing you I didn't do as much of it as I thought I was going to on on today's <sighs> call but I really do appreciate your time and your expertise for the podcast so thank you so much for being on it
1: Absolutely. No, I, I really, I greatly appreciate the uh, opportunity. And, and uh, you know, the last thing I would just plug for folks that, that really want to get into this space is, you know, you really got to learn multiple sides. And you talked about this in a previous mm-hmm. podcast with, with Frank, where he talked about all the different sides of the business that he learned. Mm-hmm. Before he got into the role that he's in with you. And I really think that that's so critical. You know, if someone is just coming out of government or just coming out of military service and they want to start their own company, I would really, really caution them not to and and go get some experience somewhere else. That doesn't mean 10 years of experience. It might only be one or two years of experience. Yeah. But that couple years of experience is going to have so much value because if you don't know what it's like to be a billable person on a contract, to be an overhead employee on a contract, to write a proposal, to do those things, it's going to be really, really hard for you to be the leader when that happens. When you run the company, there is no doubt. I mean, when everything goes wrong, everyone's going to look at you and when everything's going right, everyone's going to look at you and expect you to know what to do. And again, getting back to that paranoia and stupidity you're not gonna know, but you're at least gonna have some of those tools. So, you know, definitely encourage people to, you know, reach out to other folks and and learn and then jump in. And when you do, just paddle as hard as you can.
0: Yep, and it's gonna look like the duck. You're hopefully calm on the surface and paddling furiously underneath. So thank you so much. um, And uh, thanks to our listeners.